the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. It's time for Congressman Jim Jordan for his weekly visit on AM 1420. The answer, Congressman Jordan, of course, is a fourth district congressman and also the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, good morning. How are you? I'm, I'm fine, Bob. Uh, you doing all right? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, got a little, uh, little bit of raspiness going on now. This doggone weather went from like forty to eighty-one in the span of forty-eight hours. <laughs> it always, yeah. it always yeah. messes with you. Some, well, sometimes, anyway. But I'm good, though, Congressman. Thanks for asking. Uh, good. Okay, a uh, lot, a lot of ground to cover with you this morning in the uh, twelve minutes that we have sure. together. I want to start with a clip that I just played uh, for our audience uh, from Anita Dunn, senior advisor to Joe Biden, on the issue of opening the schools. Um, she cannot commit on behalf of the Biden administration to opening the schools even in September, which, of course, would be the start of the next school year. That that would mean, Congressman, if they don't have the schools open, all schools open in person, that children will be impacted for three consecutive school years. The second semester of 2020, virtually all of this current school year, now into the next one. We're talking three out of four years, for example, for high school students who were freshmen last year or you know sophomores yeah. through their senior years. How on earth, with all of the numbers that we see and with the guidance that we see and with the success in private schools and charter schools that have remained open through all of this, how can they possibly justify not saying, yes, American schools will all be open in September? No, it's, it's completely ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's not based on any science, any logic, any fact, any reasoning. I mean, I just came from a school. They've been open the whole year. I just talked to the seniors at this, at this uh, little Riverside School in, in Logan County, Ohio. Um, you know, it's it's like this makes absolutely no sense. But this is today's Democrats. It's all about, uh, I think, some in some ways, political uh, focus instead of what's best for students, what's best for communities, what's best for our country. Um, you know, it makes absolutely no sense. And let's hope that uh, let's hope that 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 it doesn't continue down this uh, this crazy well, crazy I mean, route that the Democrats have us on. If, if you follow it, I mean, it's they're, they're really concerned with what's best for the AFT, what's best for the NEA, the teachers' unions, American Federation of Teachers, National Educator Association. They're the ones calling the shots. They got eight, uh, the, Anita Dunn in that comment on CNN about not committing to September, said that President Biden is most proud of a program in which he made sure that uh, teachers got first access to vaccines. Eighty percent of America's <laughs> teachers have been vaccinated. Well, if 80 percent of the teachers have been vaccinated, why yeah. in the world are they not well, being told, get your butts back in the classroom? Yeah, again, it, it, it's politically driven. It's Democrat uh, politics over what's best for kids, what's best for communities, what's best for, for, for students. And as you point out, Where's the logic if, if, as you said, if 80 percent of the teachers have got the vaccine, for goodness sake, get back to school. And uh, like we're doing in Ohio, like we're doing across the country, but it's typically it's these big urban uh, school districts with the political power and the political clout that, that, that the union has 
where the problems are. But what, what was it? I think it was the Chicago system where the head of the union was saying, well, we can't go back to school. Meanwhile, she was on vacation in like Jamaica or something uh, doing the Zoom call. I mean, it's like this is the kind of stuff that drives parents crazy. And it's why you see some of these video, videos that went viral where a parent stands up and said, it's time for the board to make a decision to get us back in school, get our kids back to getting the education they deserve. No question about it. And it's so frustrating because, you know, it's obvious that the unions are calling the shots. There are emails uh, that have been uncovered uh, that show the American Federation of Teachers, the AFT, lobbying the CDC to change its guidance on school reopenings. Uh, This was just discovered literally in the last few days. Yeah, trust the science, Bob. Trust the science. Yeah. And I I have no idea. And and the AFT, by the way, is bragging about how proud they are of their teachers for being on the front lines during this pandemic. Front lines? You're in your bed. You're in your kitchen, teaching from your kitchen. How are you in the front lines? Unbelievable. Okay, let's move on. Speaking of speaking of what's best for kids, you talked about uh, that a moment ago. Let's uh, transition to the border. Uh, we continue to see just scores and scores of unaccompanied minors coming to the United States, and of course, overwhelming the system. Sometimes four, five, six, seven times capacity in the uh, facilities that are uh, being made available while they're processed. They simply don't have the room, and they don't have the staff. So, Congressman, in their wisdom. The Biden administration is now sending 500 Department of Agriculture workers down to the border to patrol and process migrants uh, at the border who have no training whatsoever, no background for this, but they just have no choice because instead of, I don't know, securing the border, they continue to let it remain open. And now they're just sending people down from different departments who can't even who don't even know what they're doing down there. No training Shows how how serious the crisis, how how, how the chaos that's that's on our border. It just underscores that. But here's the big concern: is what the Biden administration is going to do? And, and we we talked about this a few weeks ago. They're going to look to just process. They're not going to try to address the problem. They're not going to put back in place the policies that 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 President Trump had that that had the border under control, namely the Remain in Mexico policy. Uh, while we're actually evaluating these claims. They're not going to do any of that. They're just going to send more people there and process faster. So it's, it's a processing problem for them, not, a, not the underlying problem of, of, of the, the flood of, of migrants coming to our southern border. So that is, that's a big concern. And then when you send people down there who, as you point out, aren't qualified, aren't trained to do this, that, that's a problem in and of itself as well. But this is the, the Biden administration says we're just going to make the – we're going to turn them over, do the process quicker, better – uh, meanwhile, we're not going to address the underlying problem. That's it. That's the tack they're taking, and it's and it's very wrong. And the American people, I think, again, understand how wrong it is. You and I spoke last week on Wednesday before the president's uh, uh, address to the uh, Joint Chamber uh, session yeah. of Congress. Uh, so I want to ask you about this because it ties into what we're talking about right now. He spoke for an hour and he waited until about minute 58 to mention immigration, yep. to mention the yep. border, offered no solutions whatsoever, does not acknowledge the crisis, does not acknowledge what we just talked about, how untrained personnel in different departments are being forced to go down there and deal with a situation that he assigned to Kamala yep. Harris to deal with. And here we are, yeah. 35 or so days since he made that designation. She has not yet done a thing about it. Um, he, he, they're not taking this seriously. And, and I want to know what, if anything, well, the Congress can do about it. They're going to exacerbate the problem because, as you point out, he waited an hour to talk about it. And when he did talk about it, he talked about amnesty. Yeah. Millions of people who came here illegally in the first place. So how does that address that? That only encourages more people to come, which will require more people to be down there in the process. They're never going to address the problem. 
Biden hasn't been to the border. Secretary, our, our Vice President um, uh, uh, Harris hasn't been to the border. And when Secretary Mayorkas went down there, they wouldn't let the press in. And they're still not letting press in into the facilities to show the American people just how chaotic the whole situation is. So um, there were a host of problems, though, with that speech. I mean, but it was it was maybe uh, I, I said to someone, I, I've been to funerals with more excitement than in that speech. And you can't. <laughs> President Biden's address last week to President Trump's address a year and a half ago, where the where where the energy in there with President Trump, when particularly when when he presented uh, Rush Limbaugh with the Medal of Freedom, when he highlighted the families and those young kids and some of our military. I mean, it was it was just an amazing contrast. I, I, I said to someone, this was um, cradle to grave socialism presented in slow motion. I mean, that that's that's what that speech was. Uh, and again, what a contrast from when, when President Trump delivered his a year and a half ago. Yeah, what a contrast in the attention of the American people as well. The ratings were abysmal for yeah, Biden's yeah. Uh, address here. You know, despite the fact that he isn't talking, he's done one press conference. Uh, you know, there's an appetite to find out what's going on in the Oval Office, but not when this guy's delivering it. Nobody tuned in to hear what he yeah. what, what he had to say. Now, um, what I was concerned about is that not enough people tuned in after, of course, because it's just the way that it is. Um, if mm-hmm. people don't watch the main event, they're not watching the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the rebuttal, if you will. Tim Scott delivered a phenomenal address. It was filled sure with did. the type of unity that Biden promised in his inaugural addresses and has done nothing mm-hmm. to, uh, to act on. Uh, it was unifying. It was positive. And Congressman, what I want to ask you, I mean, you know where this is going. As he spoke, The words Uncle Tim, a slur, were trending on Twitter by the left as they demonized this black man for daring to have his own ideas and not spewing forth uh, the tenets of BLM and everything that they stand for. Um, It's the worst type of most pernicious racism to tell a man that he cannot have his own mindset because he is a certain skin color, that he should be black first and an independent thinker never. This is this is the, this is today's left. Uh, Barry Weiss, who's not conservative, Barry Weiss, former editor of the New York Times, when she wrote her resignation letter, she talked about if you if you engage in in any type of speech or any type of thinking that is contrary to the woke mob out there, if you do that, you will face the digital thunderdome. As Tim Scott is speaking, he was being thrown in the thunderdome that yeah. Barry Weiss talked about, and the left attacked him. And he's a good man. He's a good senator. Um, and it's, it's again. This is this is how the left operates. They will call you names, and you you know how it is, Bob. If you disagree with the left, they 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 pull out the worst thing. They start calling you racist, no matter no, regardless of what you said, just because you disagree with them. It is it is terrible. It is wrong. And again, I, I always come back to this. I think the people of this great country are so fed up with this, so sick of this, that um, you, you know, you're going to see you're going to see a, a, a more of a focus on on Republican principles, and I think the support for Tim Scott has only gotten stronger. I do, too, and I think he has been incredibly uh, humble. I think he's been gracious, even though he is upset by the criticism and the racism. He literally is being attacked for the color of his skin. There's just no stronger definition of racism. I think he's been amazing in this, and I think, uh, (laughs) and I certainly hope that more more African Americans are inspired by his his courageous willingness to be himself. He's a great guy, great senator. Uh, but uh, you made me think of uh, you know Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh had a great great line. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, Rush had a great line. He says uh, that you know the definition of racist uh, uh, racist is anyone who can win a debate with a liberal. I mean, that's what it was. So Tim Tim is is winning the debate, making the argument that makes sense, that actually brings our country together. Um, and of course, the left has to attack because he's winning winning the debate. 
Well, what's really amazing is, you know, another uh, another African-American who wins a lot of debates with liberals, Candace Owens, has been literally mm-hmm. called has been literally called a white supremacist. A black woman has been called. And they're doing the same thing with Tim Scott. You white supremacist. Wait a minute. <laughs> How can that be? But but it's real. Yeah. Um, last yeah. thing. Last thing before you go. I'm looking ahead to 2022. And I know a lot of other people are as well. Another state has passed a Georgia-style election integrity law. Florida has upgraded, uh, rewriting its state election laws with guardrails to present, prevent against fraud. And I see more and more red states and red legislatures are doing this to make sure that the elections yeah. are, 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 you know, are credible. Um, how do you feel about that? Does that give you hope? And, and how, da- in fact, let me ask you this. Not only does it give you hope, does HR1, would HR1 rather, supersede these state laws that are being passed, like Georgia's, like Florida's, and others, yeah. if it does pass the Senate? Yeah, in some ways it would. And plus, it would add that you know you have to pay for Nancy Pelosi's re-election campaign to take taxpayer dollars to help finance campaigns. So there's a host of problems. In some ways it would on voter ID and other, other, other areas. It would supersede what states are doing. So it's important we stop that bill. But what states are doing, I am so encouraged by this. The founders, in their wisdom, set up our amazing system to protect your liberties. And at the federal level, they had the, the separate and equal branches of government, the checks and balances that we all learned about. But they also set up this federal system where states could also push back on the federal government. And that is an important safeguard to protect your liberties as well. And we're seeing it happen in Georgia. We're seeing it happen in Florida. So many states are introducing legislation to protect the integrity of our election process. This is how the founders wanted it to work, as many checks and balances out there to protect liberty, to protect the basics in our system. It is so darn important. And so I'm bearing a couple weeks back, well, I guess it's about six, eight weeks ago, when the Ohio General Assembly overrode Governor DeWine's veto on the legislation that took some power away from him on this lockdown measures that he's imposed on the state. That was a huge win for liberty. And that's, again, how it's supposed to work. So states pushing back is a great thing, and we're seeing it now happen all across the country. Congressman Jim Jordan, terrific responses, terrific analysis. Thanks so much for your time, sir. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Every year, publicly traded companies are required by law to hold a meeting of their shareholders. Members of the board are elected and various resolutions are voted on. In addition, management takes questions from the company's owners, the shareholders. I've attended half a dozen shareholder meetings in recent days and have been asking corporations about their endorsements of the Equality Act, a bill that would severely weaken the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So far, every company has refused to answer my question. In the case of several, Exelon, Cigna, and Corning, meeting organizers seem to have implied that all relevant questions had already been taken. Shareholders are the final line of accountability when CEOs stray from their day job into polarized politics. You probably own a lot of these companies in your retirement account. Annual meeting season is just getting started, and they are typically online this year. You have a right to attend. You have a right to ask questions. It's time to show up. Believe me, they'll notice. I'm Jerry Boyer.
The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.